American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a recap, bit of a recruiting update. So we're going to recap the Rutgers 31-7 uh, loss at Ann Arbor to the number two ranked Michigan Wolverines. We're going to do another uh, film breakdown of each throw by Gavin Wimsat. And we got some recruiting nuggets uh, regarding basketball and I think some football stuff too that we'll talk over at the, the end of the pod. Um, so let's kind of just go right into this. Uh, Rutgers, I thought looked better than the score would indicate. Um, losing thirty-one to seven to Michigan on Saturday, uh, Rutgers was really kind of right in this game and like till late in the third quarter. Obviously, the the pick six was, um, as Greg DePalma put it, uh, the game over moment of the game. Um, Rutgers was driving there and threw a pick six uh, on a fourth and two, which obviously uh, kind of tanked out the uh the ability to win but i thought they played pretty well as a team overall uh what were, what were your kind of overall sentiments about how the game went on saturday yeah, so number one i'm watching it and i i shouldn't say this out loud but i guess i can't get um, convicted for this now i was watching it on my phone as i was driving down to this wedding i had to go to um <laughs> but uh yeah now i had it like uh next you know next to the screen where they have like the apple carplay and all that all that stuff's distracting anyway but we're good to go Rewatched it again yesterday. Um, yeah, I thought I thought they played pretty well. I don't like you said the score doesn't really depict as what the game actually went by. I thought it was technically a lot closer than that, but it's kind of tough when you have the referees on one side too, so that doesn't help things. Yeah, um, yeah, that was uh, extreme. I thought my camera cut out. That was freaking me out. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was extremely ugly from that aspect. But um, no, I thought I thought Wimsett played pretty well. He had a couple bad throws, but that wasn't that's given, I guess, for any quarterback at this level, especially when you're going against the defense like that. Um, O-line, eh, that right side still scares the hell out of me. I thought Kamar Missouri struggled, and Taj White comes in, and he gets a, a false start penalty, and it's like, all right, geez, like, you, you got to fix that right tackle yeah. spot. Um, Felter played pretty well. Um, he's, I think he's officially offensive lineman six, or the, the first guy in at guard spots. Um, but the tackle, the right tackle situation, I think has to be fixed. But running game, running game was eh, hit or miss. Depends on really uh, if you want to count Wimsett to the running game, which I guess you have to because he runs so much now. Yeah, um, he's actually a dual threat for a change. Uh, Johnny Langan does exist. He was he was there. He actually caught a pass, a couple passes actually. <laughs> um, and Christian Dremel. Christian Dremel's. I know people don't want to say it on the boards, but is Christian Dremel wide receiver one now? Like he's. Probably the best wide receiver they have, but uh, I, no, you... I think Jaquay Jackson's better. But Dremel is clearly oh, yeah. a guy that that Wimsett um, trusts Trust. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it goes back to what we saw in camp and what we said on the train on the boards. He's going to lead the team in receptions, and it kind of looks that way a little bit still. Um, although he only had one more target than Jaquay, and then yep. um, 
Ian Strong had that one really nice reception, but then he doesn't play the rest. He doesn't play the beginning of the game. So it's like, what what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Um, some, some overall stats up on are up on the screen now for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Those who are listening, uh, just bear with me. So Rutgers was three of ten on third down, over three on third down, or over three on fourth down. Michigan was eight of thirteen on third down, two of two on fourth down. Um, I thought that was a big key of the game. Rutgers could not stop Michigan on third or fourth down. Um, on Michigan's second touchdown drive, they converted on a third and eight, a third and seven, and a third and six. Uh, the third and seven, I believe, was the touchdown score um, on Max Milton by yeah. uh, Morgan. Um, so there was a DPI on that, and they scored a touchdown on it. Um, McCarthy was just surgical, 15 of 21 passing, 10 yard, 10.2 yards per pass. I thought Rutgers had some blown coverages early, uh, but as the game went on, they, they tightened things up, especially in the second half. But they're just too talented of a team when it comes down to it. Uh, I thought Rutgers did a decent enough job of kind of doing the best that they could against their run game. Uh, for example, the first three games of the season, Blake Corum averaged 6.9 yards per rush. Against Rutgers, he averaged 4.6 yards per rush. Uh, so they did a good job stifling him. But when it comes down to it, I didn't think the refs were good on either side of things. I thought they had some bad spots for Michigan. But overall, I thought the game, uh, they, they really kind of hurt Rutgers early on, especially that, that, that phantom hold on, on Holland Pierce um, on the second drive where Rutgers is up 7 nothing. The first, run, first play of that series, the second offensive series for Rutgers, was 27 or 25-ish 20, yard rush by Kyle Manungai setting Rutgers up for first and 10 from around the 47. That comes back, and now Rutgers is first and 20 from the 11-yard line. So that was 35 to 40-yard penalty right there. Um, so that's really where I felt like, okay, this is this is going to be tough because if Rutgers, if that penalty isn't called, Rutgers is probably going to score on that drive to make it at least 10 nothing, And that's when I feel like, people really would have start got, started to get nervous um, in the stadium. But obviously that didn't happen. And Michigan just <laughs> scored 31 and answered the rest of the game. Uh, so that, those are the two main inflection points in my eyes. The, the penalty on Holland Pierce and the pick six on fourth and two. I, I thought that was a pretty bad play call in all honesty with how few screens you ran throughout the season. And I guess the thinking is you haven't run many. They're not expecting it, but you're still you still as the receiver have to get you know three to four yards because you're catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage if you catch it um and i don't know i feel like when you're playing a team that has you know better athletes all over the field running a screen is it's a harder play to make work because they can you know not only are they better football players but if they're faster they're just going to get to the ball quicker than than most teams and uh, the deception with the screen is to hope you catch guys off guard. And if you have a team that's just all Uber athletes on the other side, they're going to swarm to the ball really quick, which is what you saw uh, for the pick six. But yeah, don't run screen over again. <laughs> yep. And another note I thought was interesting after the first two games of the season. Um, Rutgers dominated time of possession. The last two games between Virginia Tech and Michigan, they've been severely behind uh, in terms of time of possession. The Virginia Tech game, it makes more sense because they got a lot of turnovers and quick scores. But Michigan just 
they have they held the ball forever in this game. Um, thirty seven minutes almost. Um, if you look at the play by play, Michigan scored on almost every drive they had, starting at uh, you know their second offensive drive of the game. But I thought it was an overall good showing, but you could just tell that there was a talent difference um, in this one. Yeah, I think we knew that kind of coming in too. Um, yep. Like you just look at the recruit rankings that we do every uh, every Thursday, that throwback Thursday piece, and it's like four star, four star, four star, five star, four star, four star, four star, five star, and it's like, all right, well, yeah, <laughs> compared to Rutgers, it's like three, 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 four, four, three, three, two, two. and then it's yep. like, yeah, there there is definitely a talent gap. Um, I found it intriguing that they actually, it looks like they attacked Deion Jennings the most on a defense, and he's he's been pretty solid this year in coverage, but th- this game he um, ended up giving quite a giving up quite a bit. Um, he got five receptions on him and six targets. Um, the one was that 35, 34-yard catch, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was interesting. And then, obviously, number one corner they target was Max Melton. And Max Melton struggles. Like, they, they continued today, or well, Saturday. Um, yeah. He's got to pick it up. Like, you can't be cornerback one and being targeted as much as you have. He's been, he was targeted five times for three receptions, 46 yards, and a touchdown, I believe. So... I don't know. I, I don't know what his, his problem is or what his issue is, um, but he's definitely not the same Max Milton that we've seen in the past. Um, longer beam continues to look really good, but I, I don't know if even if you flip-flop them on each side, they're just going to go back to that side. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, if, if anybody's going to fix it, it's going to be Shiano and the rest of the, the coaching staff. we got a lot of uh, coaches with defensive back specialties. Yeah. From Shiano to the defensive coordinator and Harris Simiak was a safeties coach. Orphy is a corners coach. He came from Alabama. So I, mm-hmm. I trust they'll get it fixed. But it's, you know, you, you, you would hope guys who are as talented as Max Melton, you would see continual growth and continual progression. Um, and Shiano's talked about, you know, progress isn't always linear, but you would hope it's a little more upwards in trajectory than, than uh, Max Milton's last two years have been. Because um, I still think he, he has NFL talent. No, no doubt about that in terms of size, speed, length. It's just you want to see him put it together more consistently on the field. Yeah. Um, showing. The greatest in the world, but not, not bad by any means. I mean, that's a tough Michigan team. Like I said yeah. before on our on our preview part, I think they might be the most complete team in college football right now. And yep. it, it's I, I really think, and I've been adamant about this since preseason, it's either them or Penn State are winning the Big Ten this year. So yep. we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's a good showing for Rutgers. Yeah, and I thought and we'll, we'll kind of transition this into the Gavin film review. I thought Gavin had a good game. Um, yeah. The only – I don't think he put any balls in harm's way. Like I think the interception – it was just a terrible play call. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it was fair to put Gavin in that position. And I think he's, if you're taking like stock of who is most at, at, uh, at fault for that, he's probably towards the bottom of the list in, in my opinion. Um, but let's, uh, let's get this film review going. Um, so some of you guys asked where this was last week and I guess you guys enjoyed the segment we did so let's let's do it again um for those of you who didn't see it the last time we did this is just going to be richie put up a, a great video to cut up of every throw he made in the michigan game both completions and incompletions just kind of go through each one and talk through it if you're not watching on youtube this might be a little uh 
<laughs> a little hard to follow, but we'll try and commentate as much as we can um, through each play. So the first throw of the game is on first and ten. What'd you say? Oh yeah. Yep. So Rutgers uh, at the opening kickoff go through the end zone. So uh, this was first and ten from the twenty-five. Uh, this looked like a one-read throw to the left by Johnny Langan because if you look, Isaiah Washington is just Isaiah Washington goes out and is immediately blocking. So this was his only read on this play. I I don't like this play call because no. if you're Johnny Langan's not the, the the fastest guy in the world and he's going out on like a two-yard outbreaking route, which falls incomplete. But like, what? Why not just run it here rather than than throw such a low uh, expectation throw? Because even if he gets, even if he catches it, the most he's gonna go is two yards. Uh, I don't know. I don't like that at all. Like going the beginning, sure. I'm sure I'm watching it again because it's, it's first play of the game, man. So talk about setting a tone. Holland Pierce missed his block. Left guards yep. on the ground. Johnny Langan's looking the wrong way with the pass thrown at him, and that's just yep. So like, you see here, Pierce isn't blocking anybody. Two free no, rushers right here. Guard, right guards on the ground. Yep. Jesus, that's rush. So start. That sets up uh, second and ten. Um, they Did really came try? out slinging it too. Rutgers was a. Uh, Trusting Gavin to start this game. This is a really good throw. Um, mm-hmm. Completion for six yards on the right-hand side, setting up third and four. Um, the thing that impressed me about this, this is the, the Christian Dremel 68-yard touchdown or 69-yard yeah. touchdown. Um, Gavin's struggled with these throws all season, these in-breaking slant routes. Um, but he throws this one on the money. The safety takes a bad angle, um, and he ends up knocking out another uh, defensive back in the process because he just tries for the tackle and misses it. Uh, Christian Dremel takes it for a house call. I think all of us at this moment <clears throat> were just totally losing our minds <clears throat> because I think we all thought we had an outside chance of winning this game. And that's the kind of start you needed between that play, the three and out you caused on defense, the play before that, or the, the series after that, I'm sorry. And then Rutgers gets the ball, um, I want to check something really quick. I think Rutgers went three and out on three straight runs the next drive. Yep. All start. Yep. So this is Rutgers' third offensive drive here. 7-7 game, 5.56 left in the first quarter. First and 10 from the 25. Michigan blitzes. Gavin throws a pretty nice ball to, to Johnny um, on the right-hand side. Really put it where only he could catch it. Puts it low and away uh, for a four-yard four, four gain. Now it sets up a second and nine from the Michigan 40. Call it the 48. Gavin delivers a really good ball to Jaquay Jackson on the right side for probably a 12-yard gain, setting up first down uh, from about the Michigan... 38, I want to say, 37. Uh, so this is now uh, the Rutgers. Uh, so this is after the, the quarter ended, I believe. All-star penalty, and then Jay Patel missed that field ball. Okay, so this is Rutgers' fourth offensive drive at this point. Second and 10, completion to Jaquay Jackson on the right-hand side for nine yards. 
Another good throw. I mean, Jaquay, he's one of the only guys on the team who can get some serious yards after catch consistently. Um, just a big, fast dude. Uh, looks like they went run, run, and then punted after that. Yep. So this is now the fifth offensive drive. Rutgers is down 17-7. to seven. Third quarter, seven minutes left in the game. On first and 10, Gavin drops back. He got hit as he threw here, um, which might have oh, affected there's... the throw. If we want to watch that again, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah oh, Holland Pierce coming. gets, yeah, just sure. walked back right into him. Can't tell if he actually makes contact with his arm. Looks like he might have. And he sails the ball, you know, well over Christian Dremel's head out of, out of harm's way, but still. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that one's on him. So this is third and f- or second and 15. He throws it uh, well over Isaiah Washington's head, but this is where the DPI was called because uh, mm-hmm. he was all over him. He had no chance of catching the ball because the DB was just smothering him. This is first and 10 from the 28-yard line here. Play action. Gavin drops back and just kind of throws that to nobody under a ton of pressure. Second and 10 here. Yeah, second and 10 here. He's getting pressured. He threw just a perfect throw. All right. I wouldn't say a perfect throw. He throws a ball where only Jaquay Jackson can get it. Full extension near the sideline. Um, and that ball didn't move at all when uh, they showed the replay. I know mm-hmm. you don't have the replay in the cut-up, but yeah. it's a really nice throw, really nice catch. It's just crazy because yep. we see all these new drives, and it's like – maybe not this one. Not That's a bad time to say it, but like, at what point do you consider Kyle Manangai, like benching him? I know I he's had some great, him. great games, but rotating in a different back. Yeah, you'd, you'd think guys like Deshaun Benjamin or Sam Brown would have gotten more run in this game, or even I mean, Aaron Young, because guys, they're, they're bigger, they're better pass catchers than Kyle Manungai. I thought that was but interesting they, that like he's not going to – Benjamin didn't play a single snap. Yeah, yep. Oh, he didn't play Richard? much against Virginia Tech either. Richard, maybe? Could be. Um, so Rutgers here's first and ten from the Michigan or from the Rutgers forty five. Sam Brown's in the tailback. Play action rolls out to the right. Throws that one complete, I believe. To yeah, oh, it's incomplete. To Isaiah Washington. Yeah. That one was probably a little late. Um, he throws that half second earlier. Isaiah Washington's probably able to make the catch, setting up a second and ten. The... Play action. No, this is uh that's a that's a yeah, beautiful catch by Isaiah Washington. Man. Yep. So Gavin throws that from the left hash all the way to the right sideline at about the thirty five yard line. Mm-hmm. Um Isaiah Washington makes the acrobatic catch along the sideline to keep it in bounds. Um so this is first and ten here. Gavin's a little late on this throw. So Isaiah to Jaquay Jackson, who's not able to keep it in bounds. Again, if he throws that a little bit earlier, that's an easy pitch and catch for Jaquay Jackson. Easy first down. So this is instead setting up a second and 10 from the 35 of Michigan. 17-7 game, 534 left in the game. This is the play that they picked up the pat the the uh the personal foul or the unnecessary or unsportsmanlike call on the DB. I, I thought it was a play you don't throw the flag on, but if you do throw the flag, you have to call the penalty because 
the play that happened for those who didn't watch the corner covering Isaiah Washington ball goes well over his head, but he pushes off Isaiah Washington after the play and then does the incomplete thing right in his face. And the referee right next to the play about five, six feet away, throws the flag. And then you see the, the back judge just sprint in and probably talk him out of it for whatever reason. So they pick up the flag setting up a third and 10 from the 35 if you watch here, this is the Christian Dremel, like, shark out of the water catch. He gets hooked by this corner. It should have been a, a defensive hold to set up for this new set of downs, but isn't called. He makes a crazy catch, setting up fourth and two. Again, another example, these referees just weren't very good on either side to, uh, on Saturday. So this is the screenplay that we've alluded to that kind of ended the game. It's fourth and two from the 20... What is that, the 27-yard line? Um, this play just had no chance of succeeding. So you'll see it here. Like, you notice all these linemen just aren't even on anybody here, nope. all three of them. And the corner, he's got two guys on him here. So the corner that, I don't know who this receiver is, but Jaquay, this is supposed to go to Jaquay Jackson. Come and on. we don't have anybody blocking ahead on this corner is able to just kind of like, it, it reminded me of the, the Malcolm Butler play in the Super Bowl, where just like yeah. there was a ton of contact and you didn't even realize it at first that he picked it off. And the next thing you know, he's already, you know, at midfield with the cavalry out in front Jeez. of him. Yeah, that was true. So I don't know that if you're going to run a play like that, it has to be well executed and it clearly wasn't. There was, it wasn't blocked well. Jaquay Jackson didn't really fight as strong as you would hope for the ball because mm -hmm. you hope it just falls to the turf if it's not going to get caught. Uh, but even if he does catch it there, he's got two DBs on top of within, him. you know, what, a foot of him? And that's a one-read throw. It's not on Gavin. Like, he has to put the ball there. And so even if he does catch it, you've got, like, look how many Michigan guys he's got around him. Yeah. It's a very weird work down call. Mm -hmm. Especially with two yards, I feel like you could probably punch it up the gut at least for two. Yep. So he's got to get to the 25-yard line. So he's catching the ball at the 30. So he's got to go five yards with two DBs basically right on top and a bunch of missed blocks. So it's a bummer. But let's move ahead. So at this point, it's 24-7. The game's effectively over because this offense just isn't really designed to you know, come back from such a huge deficit. Um, but they, they do come out throwing. Um, this is second and seven from the Rutgers 29-yard line. This is a play that, You're going to. you know, you want back to, to tight end screen to Sean Bowman. Sean Bowman falls down catching the ball. Probably could have gotten a first down or really close to it. Uh, but then that sets up a, a third and seven, which I believe we, we just ran on. Uh, or does that no? That set up. We got a penalty for a false start, I think. Yeah. So now it's third and eleven. Point one, I think. Yeah. Yep. So now it's third and eleven from our own twenty-four. Uh, complete to Christian Dremel across the middle for eight yards, forces a punt. Uh, Rutgers gets the ball back here, I believe. Uh, eleven minutes, eleven minutes and fifty-eight seconds left in the fourth quarter. Second and nine. Gavin's still playing really well here. Completes it to Johnny Langan, gets 10 yards, setting up a first and 10. Um, 
again, great protection. Michigan was doing this this bullshit all day where they were like shifting each each defensive lineman over a yard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of what Shiano was talking about when he said there was some stuff that was going on that you know wasn't right out there. I think that was part of it. And I think I read somewhere I don't remember who said it, but they were saying that like Michigan was kind of like barking out stuff. The defensive linemen were you know doing like fake snap uh, noises and stuff, which is supposed to be a defensive delay of game. But again, I don't know, I don't remember who said that, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, first and ten here with eleven thirteen left in the game. From the Rutgers 36-yard line, Gavin throws a dart here to, uh, I don't Strong. know who that was, Ian Strong. I mean, uh, he should be playing off. more. It makes yep. no sense. It's a third and six here from the 19-yard line of Michigan. Gavin gets a ton of pressure on him. Ball falls incomplete, setting up a fourth and six. Seven minutes left from the 19-yard line of Michigan. You'd hope that you can put some points on the board to kind of make this game a little closer. That that was just never going to get completed. Yeah, it was a it was a corner out to, to Christian Dremel. Gavin throws it to his outside shoulder. Just it was a ball that nobody was going to catch. Yeah, um, that was the last throw of the game. So again, it was a lot of good there from Gavin. I I do think that regardless of the score and the stat line, that was probably arguably his best game he played given the opponent and the stage that he was on. Um, I thought Gavin played well enough to keep us in the game. It's just, I thought the play calling on both sides of the ball was bad. The defensive play calling in the first, you know, probably the, the first two scoring drives of Michigan was really rough, just given all the busted coverages, all the guys who were just running wide open. And we couldn't stop J.J. McCarthy on fourth down, third and fourth down. And that's ultimately what it came down to. Miss field goals. I don't want to blame Patel, but that also is a kick in the nuts when you're like, "Oh, we could take we take the lead real quick," and then you miss it completely. Well, because like, also right. you miss that first field goal, which is 51 yards, which is tough, and it looks good on yeah. on TV. You miss that one; it takes the confidence away to put him back out there. So say it's say it's 17 mm-hmm. 10, and it's fourth and two from what was it the 26 yard line? It would have set up like a 40. Six yard field goal, wherever that's, it was yeah, on the field. That's what sucks. You probably trot him out there to make it a, a 17 13 game at that point. Yeah. But but instead, it's a 17 7, and you don't mm-hmm. really trust your kicker at that point. And you, you're you not going to probably get down that far into Michigan territory many times in the game. So you got to score touchdowns when you are. Yeah. But I feel like if it's a one score game, you probably kick the field goal there. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bummer, but it is what it is. Quarterback play, I, I don't think you can blame Wimson at all for this one. I think no. the running game should have been better. Monaga had yep. a hell of a first three games, and then he went quite, extremely quiet, I guess, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought maybe rotate him in more. Rotate him out in more, I mean. I get Sam Brown maybe more carries. Maybe Aaron Young showed some burst when he came in. It's like, yep. all right, well, he looks like he's pretty healthy. Like, he's been healthy the past three weeks. He hasn't been on the, the injury availability report, whatever you want to call it. So put him in. Like, <laughs> I know everyone wants to look towards the backup, but like this is a scenario where you have such a stable of backs, like maybe rotate other dudes in if they're not working. Yeah, I agree. I don't um I don't I don't I honestly don't know why they're not rotating more backs. Um, I know Mononga had two amazing games, but if it's not working, they have a lot of talent in that running back room. You gotta you gotta play for a few more guys in my opinion. 
Yeah, the Benjamin not playing a snap is kind of wild to me because he had such a good start to the season. Yeah, you got to wonder if they're possibly going to redshirt him or what yeah. the situation is there. Man, he's just too good to redshirt, in my opinion. But yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll so this week we're going to play Wagner. Uh, we have a, a special guest, <clears throat> believe it or not, lined up for the Wagner uh, preview. One. So special guest. <laughs> sorry, something caught in my throat there. Special guest set up for the, the Wagner game. Um, as you guys may know, there's probably there's not much of a, a you know a beat surrounding Wagner, but the person we do have lined up, I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. Um, of course. Um, let's dive into some recruiting stuff. What do you got for us? Uh, oh, yeah. Football, Good news, basketball. Good news, bad news. All right. Uh, let's get the bad news first. Eh, bad news. Um... We'll start with that the new offer, Lugard. I can't pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. He's uh remember I said he blew up, he blew up even more. So he's got like I think thirteen power five offers, and I think he just added Florida State this morning, and you think he's on the rumor of getting uh what's the other one? Um I think AM's got an offer, Indiana offered, Pitt offered, um Boston College right after Rutgers, because that's what Boston College does because they can't recruit. Um <laughs> Wisconsin, Virginia Tech. So, yeah, we got name after name after name after name has offered this guy. Sounds like he's very open to staying in the DMV area. That would lean towards – I know this isn't DMV, but with Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, Virginia, mm-hmm. Maryland, sounds like he's going to stay that area. But Florida State's an interesting one. Apparently they have – I forget what his tie is to that school, but there's some kind of tie there. So keep an eye on, on that one. Uh, I don't think Lou Garden ends up at Rutgers. I think um, – the only other defensive end that's going to end up as Rutgers is Caden Brown, who's supposed to decide sometime this fall, I was told. So it sounds like maybe an October decision, potentially November, but sounds like October is the more realistic scenario. And um, I have a future cast in for Rutgers. I think I've had one in for damn near a year now. Yeah, um, it's been so a while. I think he's next up for the Scarlet Knights in 2024. Um, so that was good news, sort of, at the end. Now, bad news is there was a rumor going around that Kaj Sanders was very close to visiting Penn State this weekend. Um, There's some background there. I don't know how this is going to work because usually when you're committed to Rutgers, Shiano doesn't like him taking any or taking any other visits for any other recruit. Now, his girlfriend goes to Penn State. He's not a take for Penn State right now. I don't know what would happen if he did make the visit, but that's it's such a weird scenario where like girlfriend's there on campus like you can't tell yep. the kid hey you can't go visit your girlfriend like yep. if you want to lose yeah. him tomorrow you tell him that then um yep. so yeah there, there he was very close to visiting it sounds like he didn't end up making the trip but there was a lot of rumors that he was going to make the trip um so it's going to be something to keep an eye on um especially because i was told this recruitment's an interesting one because he's, he's looking at this the schedule to see how they do this year and this is one of those mm-hmm. recruitments which actually plays which would actually have an effect on what Rutgers does on the field on the gridiron this season. Oh, so, yeah, sure. I mean, if they if they lose out, hypothetically, they're not going to, but if they did lose out, I think you might see a couple guys flip, and I think this is the one year you got to keep a close eye on that stuff. So, um, But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for football. 2025's kicked off with Ashenfelder. They're close, not really close to winning any other 2025s. Um, New Jersey stacked this year, absolutely stacked. They have, like, multiple top 250 kids. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Other than that, there's really not much else for recruiting. I expect this weekend to be relatively bleh in terms of uh, recruiting targets. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more on that later this week, but it's it's Wagner. It's, it's hard to convince a lot of kids. Hey, you want to watch Wagner? You want to watch a Rutgers sixty to nothing beatdown? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess some of my commits mm-hmm. might come, but like uncommitted kids for the most part are gonna be like, we're good. Like, I don't yeah. need to see Wagner. So wait and see what happens there with that visitor list. But uh, for football recruiting, that's that's pretty much about it. Not a whole lot going on right now. It's, it's in season, classes filled pretty much, and yeah. You have some basketball stuff, though. So yes. uh, yesterday, an article came out from USA Basketball announcing they had a uh, Team USA mini camp for the under-19 team that was going to commence on October 6th and run through the 8th. They had a list of 85 players who were going to be there. Um, and one of those players was Ace Bailey, who is a Rutgers commitment. Um, you guys all know him. He's the number three player of the class in class of 24. Um, Never heard of him. Uh, but some other uh, targets that Rutgers is, is really uh, going after, um, the class of 24, Dylan Harper is going to be there. And we'll talk about why that's important um, moving forward. Uh, but then three top 2025 players who Rutgers is doing very well with and will have on visits or, or have visited multiple times, Trey McKinney, who will spend uh, – <laughs> the weekend of the 6th with Ace Bailey and then spend the following weekend of the 13th with Ace Bailey uh, on a Rutgers official visit. Uh, Darius Acuff, who's a class of 25. He's also a five-star guy. Uh, McKinney is as well. Acuff and McKinney play together on the family AU team in Michigan. And our uh, assistant coach, uh, Smoke Williamson, has close ties to the AU program. Uh, And Dylan Grant. Yep, that's true. Uh, who's also a commit in the class of 2025. And Darius Adams, who used to play uh, at Manasquan High School. He's part of the PSA Cardinals AU program. He recently transferred to Lobby Mare School in Indiana. Um, so he's a guy with close ties. His sister, Destiny Adams, plays for the women's basketball team at Rutgers. Um, so all three of those guys will be at this training camp. Um, I said there was a reason why it's important that Dylan Harper was going to this camp because uh, Kansas has their, they call it the night of fog or night of the fog. It's basically their midnight madness event they have every year. So that is that weekend. So the weekend of the sixth is that event. Um, Cooper flag is taking his official visit to Kansas that weekend. So it's a good thing that, you know, Dylan's not going to be on campus for that visit. Um, because that's going to be a huge recruiting event for them. Um, so that, that's that's the main item I have. Uh, do you have any kind of feedback on that event and any implications it might have for Rutgers? Uh, yeah, I mean, the late night in the fog thing is interesting. I was told recently Dylan does not want to play with Cooper Flag, so that's, hmm. that's notable um, for the sole fact that, I mean, it's clear that Dylan is going to want the ball in his hands. Uh, yep. For the most part, and that's kind of a ru- or the rumor, at least. We'll never get confirmation on this, whether it's true or not. But that's the rumor that Delquan Warren decommitted is because he was like, all right, well, if Dylan's going to be a point guard, I'm not even going to touch the ball. And Delquan Warren really can't do anything other than play defense and pass. <laughs> I can't shoot. So, <laughs> um, no offense to him. By all, I mean, hey, Mississippi State got a decent one. Like, I don't think he's bad, but he needs to learn yeah, how to shoot yeah. still. So that's a big issue in its own right. Um but the fact that um, they don't want to play with each other and the fact that I think Kansas is a legitimate threat for Cooper Flag, um, 
it sounds like UConn's out on Cooper Flag, so it's really going to come down to Duke or Kansas. And we know the way Bill Self's been recruiting. I, I it's hard to bet against the guy. I will bet against him in one recruitment with the Dylan Harper one, but I'm not going to bet against him in Cooper Flag because I think he might be able to pull that one off. So it's a, yeah, it's a good note. Something that happened yesterday with Kansas too is uh, they got a commitment from a the number 38 prospect in the country, LeBaron Phylon, who's uh, a combo guard from Missouri. Um, you got to think a guy like him is probably not committing um, and sticking around if they bring another combo guard in for, for 24. Um, Duke also, I think we talked about this last time, picked up a, uh, a commitment from the number 15 ranked player in the country who they offered after they kind of gave up on, not gave up on Dylan, but started moving to some plan B kids and con Newple. I've heard his name might be con nipple. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I hope not for his sake, uh, because that's going to be, uh, the, the easiest guy to pick on in the country. Um, that season um and additionally it sounds like indiana is starting to heat up on the recruiting trail who's another finalist for dylan uh they're about to land uh top 10 player uh liam mcneely um who plays at montford academy um and they're, they're in it for a bunch of other guys i think you said that it sounds like they're the favorite for boogie fland so they might have a they might have a pretty crazy recruiting class when all is said and done as well um Yep. It's going to be fun because these teams are going to have to adapt too. Like This isn't yep. the old Big Ten where it's like, oh, we got the best big man in the country. And it's like, cool, he's going to play back down to the back to the backboard and just play old school basketball. This is fun. We're having fun. And now it's like, oh, well, hold on. This year's Rutgers team is going to be a little different. And next year's team is going to be even faster. So uh, definitely interesting. But going back to these other kids that committed elsewhere, um, am I the only one that's – I know you said uh, LeBaron. Is that what you called him? Uh, so badly want to say LeBaron James. <laughs> like I think uh, yeah, I, like, I said LeBaron. I just feel like yeah, you gotta think. Like, I just saw him and like, hey, LeBron's like, super stuck with his palm. LeBaron Yeah. And but uh, also Duke. Um, I know they took nipple. Um, but <laughs> but uh, it sounds like he was behind Joel Bethia, who they lost out on too. So mm-hmm. Duke, John Shire, not the guy. Like, just, just I don't know. Just yeah, uh, recently, uh, Jaleel Bethea, who's a kid from uh, Archbishop Wood in uh, southeastern PA, he committed to Miami uh, over Duke, over Kansas, over basically like a ton of really highly ranked programs. That was a bit of a surprise, but I guess it really shouldn't. I think he's the highest rated recruit in Miami basketball history. Yeah. Um, if he kept their old man coach, they might have had him. But they didn't keep their old man coach. Yeah. Miami, Miami did though. They still have that. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. James Larinaga. Larinaga. Yeah. That's how you say it. Yeah. yeah. How old is he, man? He's got to be like seventy something, right? Eighty almost. I don't know. I I'm surprised he's still around because he rose to prominence when he took uh, a team in 06 to the Final Four. George Mason, who was I believe an 11 seed that year, um, 70, on one of those crazy 73. Runs. 73. Well, he made the Final Four last year too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's a hell of a coach. Um, Great guy. Yep. When you got an unlimited pocket and a nice wallet, or a life wallet, as some like to call it, um, <laughs> you can buy whoever you want. <laughs> yep. So. Um, another thing from yesterday, uh, one of the biggest college basketball podcasts named One Shining Podcast. It's on The Ringer. Um, it's with Tate Frazier um, and Kyle Mann. So they were talking about the class of 2024 class. 
Um, just really hyping the class up, saying, you know, 23 is not that great, but 24 is shaping up to be a really good class in terms of draft prospects. And they went through like the top 10 guys and they gave Rutgers a ton of love. I put a clip of it up on my, my uh, Twitter account um, mentioning how, you know, Dylan Harper is the number two ranked kid and Ace Bailey is the number three ranked kid coming to Rutgers. And Steve Peichel has been at basically every event that Dylan Harper's had this season. Um, he said if, if Dylan Harper was playing chess somewhere, I'm sure I'm sure Steve Peichel would be in attendance. Um, and they're talking about how if Dylan Harper ends at Rutgers, uh, he's it's going to be the number one recruiting class in the country. And uh, Tate was like, did you ever have that on your uh, bingo board this year that Rutgers would have the number one class in the country? Um, so getting a lot mm-hmm. of love. I'm sure that they'll get more as that class becomes the one that's about to be on campus rather than the uh, the one that's waiting in the wings. But that's that's uh, that's it for me. That's all I got. I guess uh, final thoughts. Is that what we're going with now? Because I got sure, some final thoughts. interesting final thoughts here. Let's go. Not on Rutgers at all whatsoever. Because we always have to do this like uh, potpourri category at the end. Um, Michigan State. I, I get it. Mm. Like, you, you're probably not going to have a coach soon. Maybe even today. It sounds like, but. What the hell are we thinking? I saw an article on look at this Urban Meyer. The fuck? Oh God, that's the no experience. chance. Let's replace a scandal with a scandal. What could go wrong? Um, right. Or a scandal with the most scandalous head coach, maybe. Um, that's actually debatable. Um, but then the next one I saw three hours ago, four hours ago. Marcus Freeman. No chance. What? Why the hell would Marcus Freeman leave Notre Dame? Michigan State, and someone's resp- top response was like, they have more money they could pay them. I was like, bullshit. Like, no way. Yeah, no like, way. Notre Dame will outspend you easily. Number yep. one. Number two, they'll match whatever you're going to offer. Number three, he's worked his way up through Notre Dame. He's only been Notre Dame's head coach for a couple years. I'd argue yep. it's, it's so much easier to recruit at Notre Dame. You just recruit every Catholic high school in the country, and you're probably getting 95% of those kids. Yeah. Like, yep. I, I don't understand either of those. So just do me a favor. Stop writing all this stuff. Just put Pat Narduzzi in an article and just get it ready because it's that's my that would be my go-to if I were you. Like it makes too much sense if you're Michigan State. Yeah, it would make a ton of sense. Um, in terms of would he probably jump at that opportunity? Absolutely. I know. If, I think so. I think we've all heard rumors about how Pat Narduzzi wants to get into the Big Ten. Um, he showed interest in Rutgers. The last yeah. time, the last two times it was open, actually. Um, I don't think Rutgers had the money to afford him. Uh, or, it sounds I, like someone wasn't very receptive to him. The all. second time around, he wasn't very receptive. And the first time around, I don't think they had the money. Um, but yeah, that would make a ton of sense. He was the former DC under D'Antonio. Uh, you know, D'Antonio was the, the you know, they had the, the longest sustained success at Michigan State ever um, under D'Antonio. I think they won the Big Ten twice. Um, they went to the college football playoff. Um, so I think they're the only team in the Big Ten other than Ohio State or Michigan to make the, the college football playoff. So that's a feather in their cap. It makes sense. I need other people's opinions here too. So hit the comments below with this answer. Would you rather have Pat Narduzzi at Pittsburgh or Michigan State? Because either way, he's probably yeah. going to recruit the area. But yep. one's more quote, one's more local and a little bit closer to New Jersey. 
but one's a little bit further than New Jersey, but has a little bit more appeal than Pitt, in my opinion, at least. Uh, I think I'd rather have him at Pitt because he's out of the conference and he's actually a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just look at, because he's recruited well and he's coached well. Like, yeah. if you look at all the talent that he's amassed at Pitt and he hasn't been able to hold on to because of NIL issues, he's at or Michigan hasn't. State. They don't have an NFL. They don't. They don't have NIL issues. Yeah. They're going to be able to, to get whoever they want. Um, but, I mean, he plucked Kenny Pickett out of Rutgers' backyard, um, turned him into a first-round pick, into a Heisman candidate. You know, he found Jordan Addison in the middle of nowhere in Maryland, turned him into a first-round receiver, Blitnikoff Award winner. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done really, really well for himself there. Um, and those are just two of the top guys, but he, he's put a lot of guys in the NFL. He's been a pit. Down on this question, would you rather them go with Narduzzi out to Michigan State, or would you? I mean, anyone else? Like, um, so I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, Narduzzi's they, a good coach, so yeah. he recruits well. So he's it's a scary. Issue, I don't want. Though. It's scary. I mean, they're talking about Urban Meyer too as a possibility. Mm-hmm. I don't personally see that. I mean, I don't. Urban's got a cushy job. I think he's chased the money once in recent memory for a job that he probably shouldn't have taken Very Jacksonville. True. I don't know. I don't, I just don't see him doing that. He's had two of the biggest jobs in college football in his mm-hmm. last two stops and in, in Florida and Ohio state, this would be a step down for him in prestige. Yeah. He's going to have these opportunities the rest of his life. I don't see why you, you take, you know, a second tier big 10 job when you could just, do nothing. <laughs> I think it's more so the, the NIL factor for if you're urban, just because I you could come in right away and you can just recruit whoever the hell you want. Yeah. Um, plus, it's, it's in the Midwest. You've had success out there already. And honestly, Ohio State's, I don't want to say they're on a down, downward spiral, but they're doing great recently. I know Notre Dame's a good team that they played, but like overall this season, like is, is Ryan, like they, they have quarterback issues too. Yeah, you got to think that if Ryan Day loses the th- a third straight game against Michigan, especially one that probably will determine <clears throat> who goes to the the Big Ten title game, mm-hmm. um, I say probably. But I know it's, Penn State's yeah. in there too, but I'd say it's more likely than not that that game decides who's the representative in the East in the Big Ten title game. Um, you know, they're they're not going to put up with that. Like they could. They could put up with not winning national championships, but they're not going to put up with losing to Michigan consistently. So Yeah, that's where it's... I always thought it was an interesting question, though. Oh, going back to me, yeah. Narduzzi at Pitt or Narduzzi at, um, what do you call it, at Michigan State. And I'd be interested I'd to see... Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see if he does leave Pitt. Who does Pitt go after? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You get ballsy, um, you go like Fran Brown, and just be like, hey, here we go. we'll do something Temple didn't do. I don't see them doing that. I don't think so. But, either, but... You, who knows? There's a, <clears throat> there's a guy like Sean Lewis who's done a really good job with the That's the offense at Colorado. Um, he was, I know, I think he was the lowest paid big, the lowest paid power, the lowest paid FBS coach when he was at, uh, I think it was Kent State. Yeah, I don't know. Fastest paced offense. It's 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 something that you can recruit pretty easily. Uh, skilled position players, they want to play in this kind of offenses but Dion Dion just throw a bunch of money at him yeah <laughs> I don't think so I think Dion's nah. probably gonna wait for a bigger job to open up um my my other one would probably be like um you'd have to get someone with Pittsburgh ties because that Western PA is like a breeding ground for 
I went like Davon Fuse is one, Samaj Fuse, his younger brother is another, and that's yep. just two notable ones that have Rutgers connections. But um, they they produced. If you look at the top Pennsylvania rankings every year, top fifteen, top twenty, I think ten to twelve of them every year are from Western PA. That and it's just in that Pittsburgh region. It's not like up and down PA. It's like right there. Yep. So that's where like. I don't know how much you know about Terry Smith, but he's like the he's a long time uh, Penn State DBs coach. He was at Temple before. He's got Pittsburgh native, Pittsburgh connections. I think it'd be ballsy to give him his first head coaching job there, but it might be worth a risk because if you if they proved anything this year with college football is you you really don't have to be a good coach to be a good head coach. No offense yeah, to Dion, yeah. but like you put people around you and it works. Yeah, no, you're right. So, um, be interesting. Just I think there'll idea. be a lot of shakeups. But My final thought is I have a shout out to the Rutgers field hockey team. So Rutgers is 9-0 and to start the season. Um, they had a ranked win on Sunday at UMass, 4-2. to They have a big home game coming up. Uh, it's a tilt with Maryland, who's currently ranked 8th in the country. Uh, they play them Thursday night. It's on Big Ten+. Plus. If they win that game, though, they are positioned really well to potentially win the Big Ten. So they play uh, Maryland at home, who's ranked eighth. They play Michigan the following week, who's ranked 15th at home. And later in the season, they play uh, number three, Northwestern at home. And unfortunately, they have to go on the road to number one, Iowa, uh, at the end of October. But yeah. this is a team who's setting up pretty nicely. Um, they've had... They started the season nine and zero. Eight of those nine games have been on the road, so they've been a uh, a group of road warriors. So big shout out to the the field hockey team, uh, Coach uh, Meredith Savico, uh, I think her name is. I, I'm and terrible. So um, we actually have an interview on our YouTube somewhere with her years ago when they made that big run. Um, have they won the Big Ten? They won the Big Ten regular title. season, right? I don't know if it was regular season or tournament. Um, we did one in two years ago. Yep. Uh, Big Ten, yeah, Big Ten tournament title. You're right. Um, yep. Twenty twenty one. That led them. In, they were the number one seed in the NCAA, NCAA tournament that year as well. But I mean, they've they've lost a lot of talent, and this was kind of expected to be a rebuilding year, but a bit of a, a retooling year. And she's shown it is no nothing of the sort. She is. Uh, led this team to a nine and zero record, and I just wanted to get that big shout out. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to thank also everybody for listening and everybody who's liked and subscribed and rated us and reviewed us. We really appreciate all you guys and girls. Um, we'll have that podcast previewing um, Wagner Wagner later in the week. Uh, I don't Wagner. I don't think we have anything else planned for the week, but you know. The way commitments work, you never really know. So just stay tuned to your podcast feed. Stay tuned to the boards. This has been another edition of the podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.